0: Last month we were in the book of Genesis, looking at questions that God asked Adam. Uh, This month, tonight we'll be looking in uh, Exodus 3, if you want to turn there in your Bible, Exodus 3 and 4, looking at questions that God asked Moses. And Moses, in return, asked questions of God. And while I realize that God won't call any of us to lead a nation out of exile, out of Egypt, as God asked Moses to do, he does call us using our knowledge of the Bible. The Holy Spirit reminds us to serve him in big and often many small ways. And it may be that God is calling you to serve in the nursery or to listen to Bible verses in Awana or participate in VBS or in the Eastern musical drama. Or perhaps it may be that God is calling you to minister to your neighbor who has a need that you can meet, or to love that unlovable person at work with Christ's love, or to share the gospel with your relative, a disciple, a younger believer, or get get more involved in a small group. And I, I don't know how God is dealing with you tonight, but I am familiar with the kinds of questions that Moses raises as God calls him And Moses is obviously very nervous about answering that call. I'm familiar with the kinds of doubt that Moses brings to God in response to God's call to serve him. And so tonight I want to look at the five questions that Moses asked God and see if that won't help us as we respond to God's calling in our lives to serve him in, again, in small ways and sometimes big ways. So if you're not familiar with Moses' life, let me... Give you a quick background leading up to this point in his life in Exodus three, Moses was born about fifteen twenty five B.C. to his Hebrew parents during a time when the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, and all the males in Egypt, all the Hebrew, I'm sorry, all the Hebrew boys were supposed to be killed, but Moses' parents weren't willing to do that, so they hid him in the river in a basket. He was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter and ends up providentially being raised in Pharaoh's palace. And about age 40, Moses decides to identify with the people of God, the Hebrew slaves, and ends up killing an Egyptian in the process, and he ends up running and fleeing Egypt and heads to Midian. In in Midian, Moses finds a wife, gets married, has children, and ends up being a shepherd for about 40 years. So here in Exodus 3, Moses now at about the age of 80 years old is shepherding when he sees the burning bush. And God calls him to lead his people out of Egypt. Now we see in the beginning of Exodus 3, Moses at the burning bush and call, God calls him directly saying that he has seen the affliction of his people and he's heard their cry. He knows their suffering. In verse 10 he says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And we'd have to admit, if we put ourselves in Moses' position, that, that's a big ask, right? That's no small task to ask to take on the, the most powerful nation at, at that time in the world, to go up to the leader and to, to, to uh, say to let my people go. I mean, there, there are small asks and there are big asks. Someone might ask you for a couple dollars, borrow a couple dollars for lunch. For most of us, it's not a big deal. Here you go, have, have the money. Now, if someone asks to borrow your car, your only car, to take it on vacation for a week just after they wrecked their car, that's a bigger ask, right? Because there's more there's more involved. There's bigger consequences to that ask. This was a big ask of God, to ask Moses, and it had big consequences if it didn't go well, like life or death consequences. Moses, he wasn't feeling it. He had some big questions. He had a lot of them for God. In fact, we see in verse 11, the first question that that he has for God. He says in verse 11 but Moses said to God who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Quite frankly it's not a bad question. Think of where Moses was at this point in his life. He's about 80 years old. He lived to be about 120 years old. Lived a little, bit, a little bit longer than most, most people do these days. But still, he's 80 years old. And although he was raised in Pharaoh's palace, for the last 40 years he's been a shepherd. And he's married now and he has children. And God's asking him to go and to approach the, the leader of the most powerful nation at that time didn't really have uh, great credentials to lead a a nation in rebellion against the the great world power of that day. Who is Moses? He's a guy watching some sheep in a foreign country. Kind of a nobody. No great skill sets. And so at this point, I think I would agree with Moses. Who am I? Moses wasn't much of an anybody. But notice God's response in verse 12. He said, but I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that I, I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, uh, the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then, Does God's response surprise you? Especially in light of the culture that we live in today. God asked Moses to do a monumental task. To approach Pharaoh and ask to let, let his people, his His servant population let him go with very little going for him. And Moses Moses isn't very self-confident about saying yes. Now, we here in America, we live in a a culture of self-confidence. A culture which teaches us just to believe in ourselves. If Moses was asked in our culture, who am I? Well, most people would probably feel the need to prop him up to feel better about himself. Moses, you're Moses. You were raised in Pharaoh's palace. You, you were trained by the, the best. You can do this, Moses. In fact, Moses' questioning about who he is is a far better response than some would probably give today. Can you picture it happening today? Moses, I want you to lead my people. <laughs> yeah, well, it's about time, you asked me. And it's a good thing you asked me and and not him over there, because i got a lot more to offer you, God. i I got a lot better things going on for me than than he does, right? That's our culture, right? Promote yourself. Think highly of yourself. Believe in yourself. I know growing up and even in recent days, I've heard of those self-help courses for those that don't feel good about themselves, that don't think that they have a lot going on. You know, those CDs that you can order in the mail and you can listen to it. Put it on, put it on your nightstand at night and and it says, repeat after me. I am great. I am powerful. I am intelligent. I can do anything. Now repeat it, but believe in yourself this time. I am great. Have you heard of those stupid courses? That wasn't Moses though. And God did not respond like our culture responds today. Rather, he said to Moses, didn't say anything about Moses, he said, rather, I will be with you. Problem solved, questions answered, okay, off you go. Moses' checklist for the job, job was lead God's people out of Egypt. Number one, got your staff, check. Number two, got the all-powerful creator God, of the universe with me. Check. Ready to go. But God answers Moses' question about his inadequacy with a promise of his presence. He does not prop Moses up with encouraging word, words about who Moses was, but rather reminds Moses that even with all of his baggage, God promised help and success because of God's presence in the process. Because it wasn't about what a great guy Moses was. God chose him to to use him in a great way to face Pharaoh and lead God's people out of Egypt. But Moses is not the hero of the story. God is. In fact, throughout all of history, God is the hero. Parents, let me encourage you. I know this is one of those famous stories for children's books. Moses in the burning bush. Moses leads the people out of of Egypt. Moses leads the people across the Red Sea and so on. But don't tell the story to your children and tell them to be like Moses. Not that there aren't things that we can't learn and emulate from Moses and other characters in the Bible. But throughout the Bible, the hero is never any man or woman in the story. The hero is God. And specifically in the New Testament, it's Jesus. But God's promise of his presence wasn't enough for Moses. Notice in verse 13 his next question. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? The first question Moses asked was, Who am I? The second question is, Who are you? Notice how Moses asks the question. He doesn't say, when I go to the people. Rather, he says, if I obey you, if I actually go and come to the people, Moses says, just say, pretend for the sake of argument that I go along with your plan. And if I say to the people, see, Moses was still not persuaded. And so he asked the questions, if I do this. Well, what do I say? Who are you? Because remember that in Bible times, a person's name had great meaning. It spoke of who they were, their character, what kind of person they were. Now, I know in today's cultures, parents give names to their children uh, for a variety of of different reasons. Sometimes in honor of a parent or a relative. I know my, my grandfather's name was Robert Carpenter. My dad's name was Harold Robert Carpenter. My name is Stephen Harold Carpenter. My son's name, poor guy, is Caleb Stephen Carpenter. You get the idea. (laughs) And other parents give their children names because they like the sound of it. It has a, a ring to it of how it kind of goes with the last name and the middle name. Still, other parents give great thought about the meaning of that name. And give that name to their children because of the, the name, the, the, the meaning of that name. Uh, my, for my first name, Stephen comes from the Greek Stephanos and means wreath or crown, as well as reward or honor, renown or fame. But it says nothing about who I am or what kind of person I am. I'm, in fact, I'm not sure why my parents chose that name, actually. But people don't, meet me, people don't meet me in the street today and say, Ah, your name is Stephen. Ah, okay. I, I understand what kind of person you are based on the meaning of your name. That doesn't happen today. But in Bible times, it happened a lot. In fact, a great study in the Bible is to look at times when God changed people's names. Or when people asked, What is your name? So when Moses asks God, Who are you? He, in essence, is asking what kind of God are you? What are you like? Can you be trusted? Can I really trust you, God? In fact, if I were to poll the congregation tonight and say, Can, can we trust God? Well, most people on a Sunday night would claim to be a Christian, and well, we're Christians, so of course the answer is yes, we can trust God. Right? Right? That's how we're supposed to answer. But how would you answer? How would your life answer that question? How would your children who watch your life answer that question? How would your spouse answer that question for you? See, I know God said we should give him the first fruits, but honey you know we got those bills from Christmas this month the credit card bill is high Uh, we're going to have to just wait on giving God the first fruits this month maybe next week you know children I know the Bible says that we're supposed to seek God first and his righteousness but you know daddy just got that brand new boat we're going to uh, skip church this weekend and go to the lake because it would be a waste to not use the new boat right? Those may be be ridiculous examples. But does your life demonstrate that you trust God? If we did a PowerPoint presentation on how you spent your time this week, would it demonstrate that you trust God? If we gathered together an Excel spreadsheet displaying how you spent your money in, in 2019, would it prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you Trust and depend upon God? If your family came up and joined me up on stage and and gave testimony about what is important to you, what is what your priorities were in 2019, would it be a testimony of faithfulness and and trust and your trust in God? See, Moses was called to a, a huge undertaking of facing Pharaoh, leading God's people out of Egypt. And he wanted to make sure that he could trust the God asking him to do this great thing. So notice, notice God's answer in verses 14 and 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers... The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And he continues to say more in verses 16 to 22. But God answers and says to Moses, I am who I am. Which God is saying, I am the self-existent one. I had no beginning, I have no end. And then God further clarifies in verse 15 by saying, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Notice in your Bible, the trans, this is the translation for the name Yahweh, also known as Jehovah. The most used term for in the Old Testament for God, around 7,000 times it's used. Well, What does it mean? What did that mean? mean name mean to Moses well it speaks of God's self-existence it it tells us that he's not dependent on anyone or anything else it tells us that God is not to be recognized for what he does but rather who he is he doesn't change and also means that he is the covenant keeping God you can trust me Moses Because of who he is, God is in control and he can be trusted. God says more of what to say to the elders again and of what will happen when they leave Israel later in the chapter, which I encourage you to read this week. But but Moses was not convinced. Look at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. Moses says, just say I go along and do what you say. Tell them that I am has sent me. Say that, uh, what happens if they don't believe me? What if they say, Moses, God God appeared to you? Yeah, prove it. Well, verses 2 through 9 tell us God's response. Of chapter 4, verse 2 says, The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. He was a shepherd after all. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. and to himself, who God was. For the first sign, he says, to put his shepherd's staff down on the ground, and he watched it turn into a snake. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what kind of snake. I'm kind of curious, what kind of snake was it that his his staff turned into? But if you go home tonight, or rather, look at the uh, image I put on the screen of an Egyptian pharaoh headdress. You'll see... You see what's what's uh, what's on the screen there. I don't know if you can recognize what what is there at the, the top of his headdress. It's a cobra, right? Cobra prong up up in the air, ready, ready to to strike. Every time Moses would see a cobra from his time in Egypt, growing up in Pharaoh's palace, he would immediately have thought of the Pharaoh. Pharaoh's sovereign power, as he was, as represented on his headdress and throughout Egypt by the image of the cobra. Was it a cobra? Uh, we're not told, but I, it's my, I think it's a pretty good guess that that's what it was. So his shepherd staff turns into a snake, and Moses runs right up to it and steps on it. No, what does what does the Bible say he does? He does what Pastor Walker would do. He runs. What does God tell him to do? He says, go up to that snake and grab it by the tail. Wow. And you can watch videos online of men who grab cobras by the tail to capture them. I wouldn't recommend it, though. Bites from a king cobra, it says, can kill you within 30 minutes. They're nothing to mess around with. But, surprisingly, somewhat, Moses obeys God, grabs the snake by the tail, and it immediately turns back into his staff. This sign would symbolically have demonstrated God's power over Pharaoh. Over over Pharaoh's great symbol of power. But God doesn't stop there. Next he says, put your hand inside your cloak. And when he does so, he puts it in his cloak and he brings it out and it's white with leprosy. Leprous like snow. And Leprosy was a term used to describe many different skin diseases, but generally it describes a disease which often led to a long, agonizing death, which separated you from your family, ostracized you from society, and there was no cure. It was awful. God demonstrated his power over life-changing, life-ending diseases like leprosy to authenticate Moses as his servant. But not only does he give him those two signs, but he gives him a third sign, turning water from the Nile when he drops it on the ground to blood. Now, if you've ever looked at a map of ancient Egypt, Egypt, the geography map, you'll quickly notice that the Nile River is a prominent feature of that country. Much of the country is brown, rocky, desert, sand. But you can't miss that the Nile River, as it flows from the south to the north, It's green. You see the the Nile River and it's surrounding that river. It's it's green and lush, running up to the, the, uh, the Nile Delta on the Mediterranean Sea. The Nile River was the source of life and strength and productivity for the ancient Egyptian people. And much of their national worship and power came from the Nile River. So not only did this give a foreshadowing of the first of the ten plagues God was about to give to Egypt, but it also demonstrated God's power over the Egyptians and their gods. So now, you'd think by this point, Moses would be feeling pretty good about obeying God's calling. He had three questions. God answered all three of them, gave him some, some three pretty awesome signs as well. But what Moses still wasn't feeling, and he's not convinced. Notice, notice in verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. He says, God, I, I can't speak well. You want me to talk to before Pharaoh? I, I, I can't talk well. I can't speak well. And we're, we're told that Moses' particular... We're not really told what Moses' particular speech struggle was. If he got nervous and lost his train of thought... Uh, did he struggle with stuttering? Did he, did he get tongue-tied when the pressure was on? We, we really don't know. But, but again, notice how God responds. No, no pep talk about how, Moses, how eloquent Moses really was. Uh, no flattery, no encouragement because of, of uh, his training in Egypt when he was growing up. Rather, we see what God says in verse 11 and 12. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, unable to speak, or deaf? Unable to hear, or seeing, or blind, unable to see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. So God reminds Moses that he knows him, he made him, and speech speech problems and all. With whatever Moses you consider to be your weakness, I'll be with you. So, now therefore go. Go. Therefore, reminding Moses of everything that he already has said to him, go and obey. And in case you forgot, I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. In other words, it's not really about what you can do. It's not really about your abilities. You just need to be willing to submit to my authority and obey me. I will do the rest. But Moses still was not convinced, nor was he willing to obey. Notice what? Moses' response to all that God has promised him in verses 13 to 17. But he said to him, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. And then verse 14, some rather scary words. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. When you read those words in the Bible, usually bad things happen. So we see in verse 13, Moses directly pleads for God to use somebody else besides him. God, the final question, God, can't you use somebody else besides me? I mean, I honestly can't imagine this type of back and forth interaction between someone and the God of the universe. But Moses responds and finally says, can you please send somebody else? And we see, again, God was angry with Moses and God comes to him and tells him, I've seen the suffering of my people. I'm going to deliver them, and I want to use you to do it. And throughout all the interaction, beginning at the burning bush, what we see is not just an unwilling spirit to obey God's call. Um, What we see is not just an unwilling spirit to obey God's call to Moses. Uh, We see that Moses just refuses to have faith and trust in him. Now, we as parents are familiar with the, an unwillingness to obey. If you have children, you've, you've dealt with an unwillingness to obey. Clean your room. I don't want to. Please, take out, take out the garbage. Can't Susie do it? If you're a parent, you've dealt with some level of, I don't feel like it, unwillingness to obey. But what Moses exhibited was an, an unwillingness to obey because of his lack of faith and trust in God. And what comes down to it, although Moses was going to have to go and speak to Pharaoh and talk to the people and lead, it was God who was doing the heavy lifting. It was God who was going to perform the miracles and work in the hearts of Pharaoh and, and the people. Moses needed to trust God and obey him and allow him to be used by God to accomplish an awesome task. And although God isn't calling any of us to lead people out of, Israel, out of Egypt, he is calling each of us to minister to him, for him, rather in big and small ways. And just like Moses, it doesn't take great abilities for any of us to obey him. It just takes a heart that is willing to trust him and obey him. See, we live in a world that is preaching to us and our children that there is no God. And if there is, well, he definitely can't be trusted. And we as parents, we need to model for our children what it means to trust God. What it means to have faith in him. What it means to obey his calling, even when it is uncomfortable when it stretches us, when it takes us to places with unknown dangers, whether that is the nursery or a foreign land. See, we can't expect our children to be willing to trust God to go to a foreign country, to be a missionary or to serve the Lord full-time vocationally as a pastor or counselor or a Christian school teacher, when, when we as their parents aren't willing to demonstrate faith and trust in God in the little areas of our lives, like how we spend our time, how we spend our money, are willing to be involved in ministries that we are unfamiliar with. We need to demonstrate to our our children, our unsaved family members, that we serve a God that we can trust. That our faith isn't just lip service, but rather something that we live. So that those around us, when we speak about our God they can see that, yes, you, you do, not only do you say you serve a God, but you, your life demonstrates that you trust him, that you have faith in him, that you're willing to, to obey him. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do just that. Father, we're thankful for the example of Moses and others that you have called to do great things. Well, we recognize that as, as your people, you often ask us to do little things, to obey you in, in little ways. And so we ask that as, as we go about our days, whether we're at home or at work or in our neighborhood, that we might obey your calling in our lives to, to do the small things, to, to be faithful in giving as as you've commanded us to, to be willing to serve in areas like Sunday school or nursery or vacation Bible school or Easter musical dramas or, or in bigger ways that might stretch us and make us even a little bit uncomfortable, like talking to a neighbor and sharing the gospel, going to a coworker who is completely different than us and trying to meet their needs and show and demonstrate love to them that you might be able to use our lives, our testimony, the ways that our faith is shown for your honor and glory to accomplish your will in the lives of those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen.